Corey had been coming home multiple times talking about Dave Ramsey. He would come home after working at the bank and then saying everybody he encountered, they were doing the envelope system. Right. I kept meeting people over the years, and I felt as though God was trying to tell us something about getting involved with uh, Dave Ramsey. I heard him talking about paying off debt, paying off student loans. And those were all of the things at the time that, you know, we were wanting to do. We just didn't know how to. Going through the class, we actually found out we were expecting. <laughs> so we kind of had to pause right there <laughs> and yeah. just save. Um, right. The baby is here. Um, we had him in October. Right. Um, so now we're working on the debt snowball. Right. Um, just advice or encouragement for others is that it's on your own timeline. Life happens. Right. Babies happen. <laughs> This is not like a process or something you're just purchasing. It's a lifestyle. You shouldn't just look at it as if, oh man, I just have to complete this and then I'll have everything Dave is telling me. No, even after the class ends, just remember that, you know, this is something that I, I'm going to incorporate in my life. All right, let's thank God for that couple, man. I appreciate uh, Corey and Marissa. I want to welcome everybody who's with us today uh, at all of our campuses. And those of you who are watching on the live stream, man, we're glad you're with us as well. I love what Corey and Marissa reminded us that, you know, we're taking this Financial Peace University class. And, man, it's a process. You know, this thing takes some time. Life happens. Babies happen. You just got to roll with that. But, you know, this is a journey and it starting, started for many of us, you know, uh, as a nine-week class. And if you're new to our church, 85% uh, of us started this Financial Peace University class eight weeks ago. And we're getting ready to celebrate the last class next weekend. But friends, some of you have been learning uh, these principles of managing money and money, managing life uh, in a way that you will start now. And then you will continue to grow for years. And listen, your blessing will continue to grow for years. But as Dave Ramsey told us back in January, we are not in the crockpot business uh, well, we are in the crockpot business, not the microwave business. Amen? Somebody want to come up here and say that right? I got it completely backwards. Okay. Now, what we're seeing, we're seeing already, though, how God can use a simple thing like money uh, to help us learn some spiritual principles that can literally change our lives. For example, when you came in today at all of our campuses, I hope you saw and I hope you jumped in as our teens are packing food bags for disadvantaged children who are, are attend public schools in our community. Now, with one week's notice, I ask our church to strike a blow against that monster and see if we can do something about it. And listen, two weeks ago, I asked you to hit every grocery store in town, just buy, all, buy 10 items uh, that we could use to help needy kids in our community. Last week, man, you rolled onto all seven of our locations with tons of resources so that we can help. And I'm telling you, it's fun. And we just stacked it up last week. Uh, as I was praying, you know, I, I've been praying for like 10,000 bags but I didn't actually calculate how much food that would take. Uh, but let me tell you, y'all brought a ton. I mean, look at this. We got 12,000 packs of crackers, 10,000 boxes of macaroni and cheese. Now, that's how you say love with macaroni and cheese, right? <laughs> Nothing says love like mac and cheese, right? Listen, 52,373 pieces of food brought in here for kids all over our community. That is pretty awesome, amen? Let's thank God, thank God. Which means that the first time we've ever done this, on one week's notice, you provided enough food for 5,000 bags to bless 5,000 kids in our communities. Man, let's praise the Lord one more time for that, shall we? It's awesome. 
And we're packing these bags on every campus uh, today. And so I just want to take a moment and thank God. And let's say a blessing for the food. Amen. Father, thank you for the way you have provided for our church family. I want to thank you for the generous soul of this church. I know you're proud of your children, Lord, because they take what they have and they use it not just to bless their families, but to bless other people's families as well. And Lord, because of this extreme act of generosity, 5,000 needy kids in, our, in Liberty County and Effingham and Bullock and Chatham and Bryan County are going to feel the love of Jesus with a bag of food. And I just pray that you bless this food, bless the hands that have prepared it, bless the noble souls who gave it, bless the diligent people who will distribute it, bless the kids who receive it. I pray, God, that they will feel the love of Jesus when they open this bag. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. amen. Now, the same week I asked you to bring these gifts for the hungry children in our region, I promised you that we were going to do something last week that you've never seen done before, and I'm pretty sure you will never see done again, all right? Uh, <laughs> it just depends on how it goes, Okay. Now, if you missed our trust project last weekend, uh, you're probably wondering what in the world I'm talking about. Last weekend, uh, the week before last weekend, I went to my bank and I withdrew enough money from my emergency fund to give every adult who worshiped with us on all of our campuses, you see all these envelopes here? Thousands and thousands of $1 bills in an envelope like this. And if you open that envelope, and I know many of you cynical people did, you found a dollar in there, amen? Now, listen, we, you should have seen the look on my banker's face when I asked for thousands. And th I walked out of that bank with a shoebox full of $1 bills. I felt like a drug dealer, you know? And I'm like, yeah, we're going to get the Christians high over at Compassion Christian this weekend. It's going to be awesome, man. But, you know, we started studying Jesus' parable last week about how the master gave his money to his servants and holds them accountable for what they do with it. And I'm your pastor, and I love you, and I want you to get this. Because if you get this, you'll be blessed. And also, I want you to feel the weight of, of, and the blessing of being responsible with somebody else's stuff. And I know one day I'm going to be standing before Jesus and he's going to ask me, Cam, did you do the best you could to teach the people I entrusted to you? Did you teach them to trust me? And I don't want to be that wimp that just took the easy way out or punked out on doing my job. So Sarah and I talked about it. <laughs> it was a fast Animated conversation, as I recall. And we withdrew thousands of dollars from our emergency fund and $1 bills and entrusted them to you so that you could feel the weight of being responsible for the money of somebody who loves you and trusts you and put their faith in you, just like the Lord did. And the response has been amazing. I can't tell you how many people I've met in offices and restaurants and funeral homes this week that have had that dollar on them and showed it to me. Uh, and hopefully brought it back to church this weekend, all right? Now, this is my emergency fund, and we have boxes like this at all of our entryways coming in and out of the worship center. They'll be there at the end of the service as well, I hope. And uh, if you don't bring that dollar back, it's going to create an emergency for two people that you love, all right? Uh, and I'm not, I, I have a lot of confidence in most of you. <clears throat> Some of you, not so much. Uh, this appeared on Instagram uh, you know, over a box of candy. And I was thinking, and somebody is fighting the good fight right there against temptation, you know? Uh, I also saw this guy holding my dollar up in front of a barbecue joint. And apparently he goes to the campus out in Statesboro and that, that campus is trouble out there, I'm telling you. This is the one set of dollars that I think is probably safe. 
this is a German shepherd, and this is a pit bull guarding my money, all right? Now, of course, this pit bull looks like it might have already eaten one of my dollars, so I'm a little, I'm a little sketchy on that. Uh, and then, you know, I got this picture from a family member out in Statesboro. Hey, thanks for lunch. <laughs> they are both out of the will right now, all right? Now, I also got some crazy, uh, some kind messages, you know, from people who sent me a message and said, first of all, Cam, you are crazy. And secondly, we're praying you get your dollars back and I'm praying their prayers will be answered. But you know, I met a guy at a restaurant uh, this past week, his name is Casey. And he told me, he said, I got your dollar right back in the back of the restaurant here and it's helped me. He said, you know, I'm a new believer. I did not even believe in God last year, but somebody at our church invited me here and I found a life-changing relationship with Jesus and now he's here every week. His daughter's here every week. He loves Jesus, she loves Jesus. He's gonna be baptized soon, it's awesome. But he is, yeah, and let's, we ought to praise the Lord for that, man. We ought to praise the Lord for that. It's awesome. But he is learning to feel the weight of being responsible for somebody else's stuff, and it helped him resonate with what Jesus is trying to teach us about carefully managing what he's entrusted to us. So let's, let's dig into this story one more time. Matthew uh, 25 is on page 831 in your Bible. Uh, if you've got the blue Bible, it's in the worship center here. And uh, it's, it's the first book in the Bible, Matthew, uh, first book of Matthew uh, of the New Testament, turn to chapter 25. This story is called the parable of the talents. The New, Te the New International Version calls it the, the parable of the gold bags, and I love that. Last week we talked about the opening scene of this parable where this wealthy master calls his servants around and he tells them, I'm going on a journey and I want to entrust you with something. So in verse 14 it says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. And to one he gave five bags of gold, and to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Say that with me, y'all. Each according to his ability. And then he went on a journey. Now, the story doesn't say how long he's going to be gone or when he's going to return. We presume it's going to be for years he'll be away. And so he hands out bags of his gold to his servants, and he entrusts them to invest it and to manage it wisely. Now, one servant... Uh, returned, received five bags of gold. A second servant received two bags. Third servant received one. Now in our economy, uh, one bag would be roughly equivalent to somebody who makes an average wage getting a gift of $400,000 to work with in one bag. So you've got one guy that's got two million and one guy's got 400,000. Now the key word in this uh, story is his. And the point Jesus is trying to make about your money, your talent, your gifts, your ability to earn, and what you buy with that stuff, and we drilled into this over and over and over again last week, is um, it's not your money. This is, this is the point Jesus is trying to make. So say it with me, everybody. It's not your money. Okay, now you said that the way I used to say it when I would say thank you for this broccoli. Let's say it with a little bit more passion. Y'all ready? Here we go. It's not your money. Now, the good news is it belongs to the most gracious person in the world who has entrusted it to you, but it's not your money, right? Now, you don't have to believe this, but Jesus does. You don't have to believe it. Blow it off. But Jesus does. And I promise you on the day that you die, you're going to have an inevitable talk with him, according to this story, about what you did with his stuff. Now, if you were here uh, last week, you remember this story is embedded in a sequence of stories about the imminence of your death or the second coming of Jesus and then the inevitable judgment that is going to be made on the quality and the obedience of your life. Now, friends, 
Y'all look at me. Since last weekend, three people in our church have died since we were together last weekend. Two of those deaths, totally unexpected. One guy, a great servant of the Lord in this church, went to his bed in Savannah last week, woke up in heaven. I spoke to that guy every week at church. I actually was standing out of here by the food collection section, joking around with him last week about the end of this sermon and before he could get back here for part two. He's with the Lord. Now, all three of these families are grieving today, and I hope you'll pray for them. And some of them are here right now, and thank God for them. But look at me, and don't listen to this from somebody else. I'm talking to you. You have friends who were here last week who have already experienced the assessment that Jesus promises in this story. They have already in, encountered that. And that day's coming for you too, probably much sooner than you think, and you won't see it coming one bit more than any of the rest of those folks did. So let's mine this story together and hopefully learn what Jesus is talking about in this story about the weight of carrying around a lot more than just one of your pastor's dollars. Look at verse 16. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once. Everybody say, went at once. And put his money to work. And listen, he gained five more bags. And then the one with two bags of gold gained two more. And the man who had received the one bag went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. And after a long time, the master of those servants returned and he settled accounts with them. So the master distributes his wealth to his servants. He leaves expecting them to do something good. And then he returns and they settle up. Now, you remember when you were in school back in the day, some of y'all was, you know, 150 years ago, but I mean, you know, you're in school and you're just sitting through class and you think about basketball and you're looking out the window and you're just kind of, you know, waiting for the thing to be over and all that. And then somebody would ask a teacher a question and it would change everything in that room. You remember what that question was? Will this be on the test? <laughs> and if she said yes, dude, it changed your situation. You sat up, started taking notes. You realized, man, I'm going to be quizzed on this thing. I got to know this, put a star by it in your nose, put a circle around on the book because this is going to be on the exam. Friends, Jesus wants you to know this is going to be on the exam. And apparently what you do with your money is going to determine whether judgment day for you is a good day or a bad day. So what we do now will matter then. Amen? Yes. Say it with me, everybody. What we do now will matter then. Now, I think the first thing that should be obvious to us in this story is what five bag people do now is going to matter then. Did you notice in verse 16 that the man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put money to work and gained five more bags? It's interesting to me that the person who, has the, who is the most proactive is the one the master entrusts with the most to work with. And that should be good news for all of us because if you listen to what we're learning in Financial Peace University. And dude, you put that to work, chances are God is going to bless you with more and more and more to deal with. It says in verse 19, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you've entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, everybody say see. I've gained five more. Now don't you notice this word see because it's emphatic. He's glad the master's returned. He can't wait for exam day. He wants to take the test. He knows he's going to pass it. He says to the master, look at this. Man, you entrusted me with five gold bags. I gained five more. And look what the master says. Well done, good and faithful servant. 
You've been faithful with a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Come, bro, and share your master's happiness. The words I want to hear more than any other words in the English language are these words right here. Well done, good and faithful servant. And I want to hear them from Jesus in a conversation that I know is on the horizon. I know it. And you should know it too. Now let me talk to the five bag people here today. If you're a five bagger and there's a bunch of them here today, you, you are all about more. More money, more responsibility, more expectations. But you know what that means? More pressure, more uh, frustration, more temptation, more, 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 more. Now friends, Jesus warns us about the danger of having more and more and more and more. He said, you know, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to get into heaven. Now, he doesn't say it's impossible. He just says it's harder. If you're a five-bagger, it's harder for you. But this parable should be an encouragement to five-baggers because in this story, the rich man is the hero. You know, the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share your master's happiness. Man, God entrusted you with wealth not to hoard it, but to put it into play and do some good with it. And this guy used his wealth that way and honored his master. Now, if you're a five-bag person, the challenge for you is probably going to be giving generously. You know, Jesus warned us about trying to lay up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and recessions take it all away from you, but rather lay up treasure in heaven where it cannot be stolen, cannot be destroyed because, he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, friends, if you're a five-bag person, you could be a tremendous blessing to the kingdom of God. But let me tell you, the more bags of gold you have, the harder it will be for you to give. Now, if you make $30,000 a year, a tithe of your income will be $58 a week. And when you look at that 58 bucks, you know what you think? That's a date. That's a date night. That's dinner and a movie with my little bride or husband, whatever. I'll be glad to honor God with that. But if you make $85,000 a year, your tithe is $164 a week. And man, you look at 164 and multiply by four and you start thinking, I could lease a BMW for that. And if you do, Dave Ramsey will come to your house and beat you up, all right? No leasing. We're done with that, all right? I'm just saying the temptations for five-bag people to misuse their master's money is different. And sometimes those temptations are stronger than they are for those who have less. Now, I love the story about the guy who went to his pastor. He said, Pastor, you got to pray for me. He said, I'm not tithing. I haven't been tithing for a while. I know I should, but I'm not doing it. Man, but my business is just taking off, and 10% of my income is over $1,000 a week. And I just can't bring myself to give that tithe to the church. Pastor, pray, pray for me. And he said, I'll be glad to pray for you. Father in heaven, please reduce this man's income to the point where he feels comfortable honoring you and giving a tithe to your work. He's like, no, 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 don't do that. Why not? You want to show up in heaven one day and feel like the biggest fool in heaven? Really? You want anybody to talk to you about this? Friends, Jesus affirms the faith and trust and obedience of a good man who was blessed, 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 blessed five times because he honored his master with all of that blessing. In fact, Jesus said, you know, because you've been faithful in a few things, dude, I'm going to give you authority over a lot of stuff. And I promise you that if you are a five-bag person, the day is going to come when you're going to be standing for Jesus and you will think that your tithing and giving generously to a church that makes a difference was the smartest, most spiritual thing you did in your life because, say it with me, everybody, what we do now will matter then. Now, this story goes on to teach that two-bag people, if you're a two-bag person, what you do now 
will matter then. You know, I just keep telling the Lord, Father, if you would just have some wealthy person give me $10 million, I'm telling you, I would put so much of that money in play, you would be so proud of me. But you know, there's a humbling phrase in this story. It says, the Lord gave to each person according to his ability. And apparently he knows what you can handle and somehow I am not that $10 million guy, right? I feel more kinship with the two-bag guy in this story. And I'm talking to a lot of two-bag people right now. You're not wealthy, but you are blessed. Can I hear an amen? amen. You, you know, you're taking what we're learning from Financial Peace University. You're making it happen in your life. You got an emergency fund. Most Americans don't have one of those. You started a debt snowball, man. You're paying off the little debts first and attack, 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 attack. You're working that down. Way to go. You've created a budget. You're having a family finance committee meeting every month. 80% of the people in this country aren't even smart enough to do that. They don't have the will to do it. And you are doing it. And praise the Lord. But let me give you a warning. There are two strong temptations for two-bag people. The first temptation is to be jealous of the five-bag guy. And I mean, instead of being grateful for what God's given you, you start comparing yourself with other people and you become envious. And you become bitter because you don't live in a $400,000 house or you don't drive a $50,000 car. And, you know, you just want to do more, 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 more. And, and you're not always able to do that. You know, the Apostle Paul told us we should rejoice with those who rejoice. Friends, jealousy and resentment are signs of greed and immaturity. Proverbs 28 says, a greedy man stares up dissension, but he who trusts the Lord will prosper. Uh, the other temptation for the two-bag person is to have a condescending spirit toward the one-bag man. and feel like, you know, you're better than them because you got twice as much. You know, Jesus Christ owned nothing but the coat on his back, and he was the greatest person who has ever lived on this planet. Proverbs 28, 6 says, Better is a poor man whose walk is blameless than a rich man whose ways are perverse. Friends, God does not measure your worth by wealth. He measures it by your character. Uh, I find it really interesting that the master doesn't play favorites, you know, because the five-bag guy made twice as much as the two-bag guy. He says exactly the same thing to the two-bag man as he does to the five-bag man because God measures us by opportunity and ability and effort, not outcome. Now, if the one man, talent man had doubled his investment, I think he would have heard the very same thing from the master. Now, if you're a two-bag person, you have a responsibility to make the most of what God has entrusted to you. Now, think about this. If you work for 40 years and you make $35,000 a year, average $35,000 a year, $1,200,000 is going to go through your hands in a lifetime. That's a lot of money. Be wise. Don't indulge yourself. Don't hoard it up. Be a wise manager. The first risk God asks all of us to take with our money is not some big, huge, you know, dramatic lump sum donation, but a weekly tithe of your earnings. Now, in Matthew 3, 8, uh, that, that passage is not written to rich people. It's written to regular folks. Malachi says, well, a man robbed God, and yet you robbed me. And you say, Lord, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse because you're robbing me. Now, in a minute, we're going to see what God says to this one bad guy. But the bottom line is, God sees disobedience with your money as a sin. Listen, the Jewish nation didn't give God one-tenth. They owed God one-tenth. And that automatically belonged to him. The very next verse says, bring the whole tithe into my storehouse so there will be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. Only place in the Bible God ever says, test me, see what will happen. See if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing you won't have room enough for it. Friends, God promises us that when we tithe to him, 
He will pour out a blessing so great we can't even receive it. And the church's needs will be met. Now, most believers I know, well, can you back up to the last passage for me, please? Most of the people I know hate this verse because of the first half. Because it feels like, oh, God's trying to get in my business. He wants me to bring a tithe. I don't want to do that, blah, 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 blah. I love this verse because of the bottom half. I mean, if God told you, I'm going to tell you a secret that will cause me to open the floodgates of heaven and just start pouring blessing on your marriage, pouring blessing on your kids, pouring blessing on your health, pouring blessing on the house where you live, and maybe on your finances too, dude, I'd be saying, what is it? And if you said, well, I need 10% of your income, I'm thinking that'd be a small price to pay to have three kids grow up that I'm proud of. Amen? Amen. Listen, in 2 Corinthians 9, next verse now, please. Remember this, Paul says, whoever sows sparingly, reaps sparingly, but whoever sows generously, reaps generously. And I know it takes a lot of trust to put God first, particularly if you're a two-bag person. You're probably overwhelmed with bills. You, you don't see how in the world you can afford to tithe. I had a guy tell me that a minute ago. He's an engineer. He said, before I started tithing, I, just, I couldn't do it because I'm an engineer. I'm a numbers guy. I, I knew it wouldn't work. Can I just tell you, most of us will never be able to afford to tithe until we start tithing. Because when you start tithing, then God's math kicks in, and that's hard to explain. Now, I'm a two-talent man financially, and frankly, tithing has just been easy for me. You know why? My mom and dad trained me as a boy to live on 90% of my income. And so I've never thought about not tithing. My, my wife grew up with the same kind of parents. We've never had one fight in our marriage about tithing money. Now, we've had a fight about some of her other sins, but we have not had a fight over that, all right? Now, the, <laughs> she's not in here. <laughs> now, the, now, take that off the stream, please. Uh, listen, <clears throat> the Bible talks about, listen, the Bible talks about tithing good and offerings. Now, the tithe is what belongs to the Lord. The offering is over above the tithe. Listen, that's how we support missions here at Compassion Christian. That's how we feed the you know, hungry on special occasions. That's above my tithe. Listen, if you're going to honor the scripture and the, and the Lord, you should never feel free to do anything with your tithe except bring it to the Lord at your church. Anything else you want to give above that, that's at your discretion. But, you know, splitting your tithe up so you can do a little bit for Fellowship of Christian Athletes and do a little bit for the Cancer Fund and a little bit for, you know, the Red Cross. Dude, you don't have the right to do that. Your tithe goes to the Lord. Everything above that is an offering. Now, I really want to put the Lord first. And I really want to honor him with my bags of gold because I know even for a two-bagger like myself, what we do now will matter then. Say it with me, everybody. What we do now will matter them. And when I stand before the Lord, here's what I want to hear. Cam, well done, good and faithful servant. Not just for you preaching, bro, but for what you did with your finances as well. All right, here's one last thought. What a one-bag person does now is going to matter then. The one-bag man in this uh, story buried his talent in the ground. He knew the exam was coming and didn't give a rip, didn't prepare. I'll tell you one thing he did do right, though. You read the story. He acknowledged it was his master's money, but he made some terrible mistakes with it. First of all, he was fearful. Oh, I was afraid I wouldn't be able to make it. Secondly, the master said he was lazy. He said, you wicked, lazy servant. You just didn't want to be bothered with this, did you? Third, he was unimaginative. The master says, you know, if you bury it in the ground, dude, you could have put it in the bank. I could have drawn some interest on it. 
And finally, he was self-pitying. Look at verse 24. Oh, it's your fault, Lord. I know you're a hard man. Things are tough around here. This is not my fault. I can't give. I'm a victim. And if you read this story, you'll see at the end of all those excuses, that one bag, bag man was condemned. The master took the one bag from him, gave it to the dude with 10, and threw that wicked servant out into the darkness, which is pretty stark. Because, you know, most of the time in the Gospels, Poor people are treated with compassion. But here is an example of one who has the least and is irresponsible, is judged and ejected. And I think Jesus just wants to teach us all that, look, what you do now is going to matter then as well as now. And nobody in this room can say this doesn't apply to me. Now, let me say a word to those of us who would consider ourselves under-resourced. Maybe you're elderly. Maybe you're on a fixed income. Maybe just starting out. Maybe you're unemployed. For whatever reason, your income is low. This parable teaches you that being poor does not exempt you from making the most of what God has entrusted to you. Your master expects you to work hard and earn and spend wisely and be generous and give some of it. Now, in the book of Leviticus, when it's talking about giving, it talks about people bringing a sacrifice to the temple as a, a sin sacrifice. When they sin, they were supposed to bring a lamb and sacrifice it at the temple. And then Leviticus 5, 7 says, if you can't afford a lamb, bring two doves or, or two young pigeons to the Lord as a penalty for your sin. Now, what's interesting is, if they couldn't afford a lamb, it doesn't say don't worry about it, God will understand. You still bring something. Now, if you read in the New Testament about the birth of Jesus, when Joseph and Mary brought Jesus into the world and then they went to the temple after the birth of Christ to offer a sacrifice, you know, for the firstborn in their family, it says in Luke 2, when they went to make their sacrifice, they took two young pigeons. Do you know what that means? They were so poor, they couldn't afford a lamb, but they didn't do nothing. They did something to honor God with what they had. Now, 1 Corinthians 16, 2 says, on the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. It should be proportional. It's a percentage of your income. Now, if you're a one-bag person, I hope you'll never be intimidated by people who have more. I hope you'll never rationalize that, you know, I don't have very much, so I'm just not going to give anything. I hope you will believe what the Bible teaches, that giving is an act of worship and bring your tithe to the Lord. You know, in Luke 21, one of the most inspiring stories about giving in the Bible Jesus is at the temple and he's watching people drop their money into an offering box, just like we have here at Compassion Christian. And he's watching this whole thing with love, but he's also watching with a sense of expectation, as I assume he still does right here when people come to worship. Now, a widow came to that offering box and dropped in two little pennies, the last money she had. And Jesus was like, did you see that? Now, what he didn't do was run down to her and go, oh, ma'am, you shouldn't give anything. You can't afford to do that. He said, no, this woman is a hero. She's the most generous giver here today. She is trusting God to provide for her and obeying the Lord while the rest of you jokers are giving out of your abundance. I mean, you, you know, people dropping big gifts in, but they had a ton of money to give. She had nothing and gave it all. So, friends, when you give, just remind yourself, it's not your money. It belongs to the Lord. And remind yourself, this is a test. Man, this is an exam. God is encouraging us to do this to prove him faithful as well as us faithful. Man, remember that you are enabling now by this giving. You are enabling the Holy Spirit to flow through your life in a special way and honor God's promise to provide for you. Man, when you contribute, you're adding to the strength of your church. 
When you give, God multiplies your gift and uses it not just here, but all over the world. You know, in Matthew 14, there's a story about a little boy who gave Jesus five loaves and two fish. And Jesus took that simple little offering and multiplied it and blessed 5,000 people with it. And I'm telling you, sometimes the smallest act of generosity is the most inspiring. You know, when I hear some five-bag guy gave a million dollars to some kingdom cause, I'm like, good for you. I wish I could have done it. I'm glad you did. Way to go. When I hear about some widow on fixed income or some single mom honoring the Lord in obedience, dude, it makes me go back to my two bags and figure out where I'm playing ball the way they playing ball. And I want to dig deeper because God has entrusted me with more, which is why we give you this tithing commitment card. Now, everybody pull this out and wave it at me. Pull this out. If you, those of you asleep, fan them with it. Somebody sleeping beside you, fan them with it. It'll make them feel better. It'll be good. That's one good thing that'll come from it. All right. Now, this is a commitment card that we hope you'll fill out. And don't give it to me. Don't put it in the offering. Put it in your Bible. Put it by the computer where you do your bills. Friends, look, it says, first of all, I'm going to invest in my spiritual growth through weekly worship, Bible study, and service. Man, here we are at the first of a new year. Man, we want to make, make disciplines that will make a difference in our life. I'm going to manage God's money, uh, God's, my God-given resources, in God-honoring ways. We're learning how to do that through financial peace. I'm going to take the 90-day tithing challenge or continue to be a biblical tither, giving 10% or more of my income to the Lord in 2018. Now, here is the crazy, only a compassion Christian thing you ain't going to hear anywhere else. I want to offer you a 90-day money-back guarantee tithing challenge. 90 days. Try tithing for 90 days. Give on our app or give with a check so we can track it. Do not come to me and say, Cam, we, our family gave 100000 in cash over the last 90 days. Because I'll know you're a liar. God will know you're a liar. All right? But I'm just saying. <laughs> give on the app or give with a check so that we can track it. Give a full tithe of your income for a full 90 days. At the end of that 90 days, if you think God has not blessed you, you come tell me and we'll give you your money back. We'll refund your money. Just try it. And that's what God says. God says, test me and see if I will not just open the windows of heaven and pour out more blessing than you'll be able to deal with. Now, you're never going to have an easier opportunity to test the Lord and see if he'll bless you than right here, right now. So try it. Just give a full tithe of your full income for a full 90 days and you will learn what every tither knows. You cannot outgive the Lord. But friends, the motive for giving for believers, you know, for people who love God, has never been the blessing we might receive in the future. That's childish. But the blessing we have already received. Dude, that's what motivates us. You know, in the Old Testament, I mentioned this a minute ago, there was a practice of giving the firstborn of everything to the Lord. You know, anytime there was a firstborn, it was just, you just gave that to the Lord to say, God, we got this from you. Thank you for blessing us so much. In Leviticus 27, it says, the firstborn already belongs to the Lord, whether it's an ox or sheep. Now, that's how they spell money back in the Old Testament, all right? Whatever money you make, the first, the first of it, the first 10%, the first goes to the Lord. This is talking about, honestly, giving the firstborn lamb, goat, calf, whatever, to God as just an offering. You would take it to the temple. You would offer it to the Lord just to say thank, just to remind yourself, God is first. He's first in my life. He's first in our home. Everything belongs to him. He's provided us with everything. So the first of everything goes back to the Lord. Now, don't you just imagine in your mind, Imagine there's a family, a little boy comes running into the dinner table one night. Daddy, 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 a new lamb is about to be born out in the stable. And so the whole family gets up from the dinner table and man, they go out to the stable and here's this beautiful little lamb and it's gorgeous. And the kid says, can we name it, you know, Jack? 
I don't know what he would name it back in the day, all right? And the dad said, no, we better not name this one because this is the firstborn of the sheep. And so we're going to take it to the temple and offer it to the Lord. And the little boy starts crying, no, you're not going to take the lamb. Yes, I am. And you're too, you are too, so let's go. And so they get the family together and they would go to the temple. They would find a priest and they would offer this lamb as a sacrifice to the Lord. Now imagine this little boy growing up and his family are ranchers. They're, they're sheep herders, right? And eventually this kid is so sharp that his dad says, I want you to take over the bookkeeping for the ranch. And he's like, glad to do it, dad. And he and his dad are sitting in the office talking about, you know, the, the business one day. And he says, dad, I need to talk to you about something. Now you may not even know you do this, but we're ranchers and we got a shrinkage problem and it's your fault. We're losing money every year and it's because of something you do and we just got to talk about it. I'm the bookkeeper, we've got to talk about it. You have this habit, dad. And I've watched you do this my whole life. Every time there's a firstborn lamb, you kill it. Dad, that's a lot of money. You take that firstborn lamb to the temple and you kill it and you offer it as a sacrifice to the Lord. Do you know how many lambs you killed last year, Lord, Dad? You killed 72 lambs last year. We're ranchers. You're cutting into our profits. Why do you do this? And dad said, son, I need to tell you something about our family that apparently I've never told you before. We haven't always been ranchers. Before you were born, you know what our family did? We were slaves. Slaves of the Egyptian empire. Those Egyptians treated us like dirt. They worked us like animals. They denied us the respect that any human being should expect. You know why? Because we were slaves in a ruthless empire. And because we knew it was unjust, we cried out to God. We prayed for God to rescue us and he did. He saved us. He reached out with a mighty right hand and broke the back of that Egyptian empire. He used Moses to lead us out of a life of slavery across the desert to the promised land where we live today. Son, as long as you can remember, our family has been blessed, blessed, blessed in almost every way. I mean, think about it. We have a great family. We love each other. You don't remember a single soul in our family being murdered by a taskmaster. But I do. That used to happen all the time back when we were slaves. You still get your mom and dad with you. You know where mom, mom and dad are? Dead. They were killed by the Egyptians. Man, God has given us such a great life. Man, this ranch is so profitable. It's like it flows with milk and honey. And to thank God for all that he did to redeem us from slavery and all this that he's given us. All he asked was the firstborn of every lamb. I mean, the first bale from every field of hay just to say, I know who this came from. And so we wouldn't forget how good he's been to us. So of course, in our family, we do what he asked. He freed us from slavery. He gave us everything. So of course, I will give back to him whatever he wants. Now fast forward that tape, 5,000 years. And you're sitting in your easy chair and you got the church app open and you're updating your tithe on our church app as a recurring gift you're updating it and your little son walks in and says, Daddy, what you doing? He says, well, it's the first of the year and I got a raise this year and my salary goes up the first of every year. So I'm adjusting my tithe on our church app because in our family, we give 10% of our income to the Lord. And the little boy says, how do you do that? I said, well, I do it right here on the app. I just put the money in here. That's 10% of my income. And I give it every week and bam, there it goes. Plus I give some to missions. And so I do that too. And the little boy's looking at it and said, how much do we give? Well, it's right there. And his eyes get big. He's like, Dad, we do that every week? He's like, yeah. I get paid every week. We give every week. He said, Dad, that's a lot of money. You are such a good man. Why do you do this? 
and you tell your son, come here, son. I need to tell you something about your dad. Your dad was not always a good man. In fact, for a long time, your dad was a bad man. Our family did not always serve the Lord. In fact, the family I grew up in was full of alcoholics and womanizers and money worshipers. My family tree is just scarred with divorce and dominated by anger. And then somebody at work invited me to this church. And I met Jesus there. And he saved me and forgave me and filled me with his Holy Spirit and remade me into the good man I am today. Every good thing in our life has come from him. So, of course, our family is generous because we want to honor the God who has done so much for us. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you. Thank you for being so good to us. Thank you for giving to us, Lord, what we could never have for ourselves. Thank you for that crazy God's math, <laughs> you know, that we make small sacrifices. You, you give big blessings. We give tangible things, and Lord, you bless in intangible ways in relationships and love and peace and joy and purpose and confidence and wow. I pray, God, that every one of us here today will be in touch with reality. Life is short. It will end one day. What we do now is going to matter then. And I pray, God, that we will all be wise now. Humble, courageous, proactive, wise now. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. amen.